Amen. Thank you. What a beautiful picture of what God has in mind. God speaks fluid Dutch and Japanese and every other language known to man because He seeks worshipers from every tongue and every nation. We appreciate that offering to the Lord. And I appreciate each one that's here this morning because we are all God's work and we're all testimonies. And I know we all have uh, gratitude in our hearts for what the Lord has done for us in our lives. As we have heard during our time of worship and our offering song, it's one of the important aspects of being a Christian is sharing with others what God is doing in your life. He's an awesome God. He's an amazing God. He's a powerful God. And so we always have something going on. God is always up to something in our hearts. And so it's an important part of our lives individually, and it's also an important part of a church uh, family, of a church life. God made it that way in the New Testament. And in the epistles, you find that giving testimonies and giving thanks to God is, is what we do. It's, it's our duty and it's our great privilege. So this is a service that we have dedicated to giving thanks to God. And there are six among us that would like to do that, um, that have something to share. And, that is, and they'll come in this order to share with us this morning uh, Floyd and then Sam and Jesse Page and Margie and Janet Lurzer, Janet, are you? Yep, all the way in the back. And then Pat Ray. And so they have, a, they have a message on their hearts that when the appeal was given, would you like to share something? They'd say, yes, I'd, I'd like to share something. And so we want to share, as we sit and listen, we want to share in their thanksgiving to the Lord. And also in our hearts, just exalt God for who he is. And I'm always uh, interested in what kind of theme or what God has to say because God will speak to us as a church family um, in each testimony. So I thank these six brave souls, um, eager souls that want to come and share with us. And So Floyd, if you would come and lead the way. morning. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And I am so thankful today that God has done that for me. I'm excited about the fact that Jesus loves me so much that he came and sacrificed his life for me. And then also in uh, Titus 2.14, I'd like to read that verse too. Uh, Who gave himself for us that that he might redeem us from all iniquity, And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. And uh, I'm just, well, (laughs) I'm just so thrilled that that Christ died for me and made it possible that that I can 
get out of this mess, so to speak, and uh, live for him. I enjoy my walk with the Lord uh, every day, every day. I talk to the Lord as I, as I go about things around home and do work in the garden and whatever I'm doing and uh, praise him. And, and, I, and many times I look up at the trees around and uh, the great manifold, the great things that God has made that we can enjoy. And then I think, boy, what's heaven going to be like? And uh, we had so much. I enjoy getting up in the morning and praising and praying to God and fellowshipping with him. And thanking him and anticipating what he's going to do today, what's going to happen today. You know, God is right there. You know, as I travel, as I work, whatever I do during the day, God is so good. And one thing I've learned in my my later years, I I wasn't, didn't do this like I should when I was young, when I was young people, so when I was young, so I challenged the young people to put God first. God first. In everything you do, put God first. And and uh, if you're not doing that, start now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Now is the time to start. Now is the day of salvation. Now. Now. Put God first. And as I said, I, I love God very much. And he has many mercies and so forth. And I'd like to challenge you to, I'm not going to read it now, but uh, you can read it. Psalms 103. Psalm 103, and points out a number of things there that I'm going to just point out. Number one, forgive my sin. My sin. My sin. sin. Number two, heal Number three, redeems my life. Number four, crowns me with loving kindness. Number five, satisfies me with good things. Number six, he sets me free. Number seven, he makes known his ways to me. Number eight, he gives me his grace and mercy in time of need. And I, all these things, it's, it's, I have a lot to be thankful for. God has given me very much, very much. I've had disappointments in life. I've had things I didn't like. But, you know, there's one thing about God. God brings things into our lives that he sees as best for us. He's interested in what's best for us, not just to, just, to, just to be here and pass the time. He wants us to enjoy life, He wants us, and he wants us to have the best. So, if you want to be happy, put God first. And as you all know, I, I like to sing... And so for my closing verse, I'd like to, to uh, read what it says in Revelation. Revelation 5, 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and redeemed us to God by, the blood, by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and nation. 
It isn't just for American people. It's for everybody. May the Lord bless. Um, every time I speak or plan to speak nowadays, um, I get this kind of unspoken challenge to keep it brief. I'm not going to say who it's from, but every time Corky finds out that I'm going to talk, I get this look. So... I found lately that uh, I like to type out what I'm going to say so I can stick to the script. I don't want to upset this mystery person. Anyway, I don't know what I'm going to do when Corky can no longer hear good and think well because he is not necessarily the butt of all my jokes, but he is... He's at least a part of, of almost everything I say, so it's funny. Uh, okay, this is what I am grateful for, well, among many things. This is uh, what I'm grateful for uh, this year. Who has heard of General uh, Stonewall Jackson? A couple, two or three of you. Okay, good. Then I get to kind of introduce him to you. I'm kidding. Um, so it's said that before entering battle, oftentimes that the great Confederate General Stonewall Jackson would say uh, to his troops, the battle is ours, the outcome is God's. Uh, back in March of this year, I either read that or heard it for the first time, and it stuck with me, and it struck me uh, right away that this pre-battle saying by General Stonewall Jackson would be the new theme for our little jiu-jitsu club that I happen to kind of be the coach of. Um, and what I'd like to share with you is how God showed me exactly what that biblically-based saying really meant or really means. Um, now, before I get going, I know that I have some friends here that have no idea what jiu-jitsu is, like I'm sure... Mary Dunn is thinking, what? I'm sure we've actually had this conversation. So, But jiu-jitsu, for the, for the most part, it's, it's just a martial art, like a fighting thing. Um, it's kind of like wrestling, but with uh, where you can make your opponent say, uncle, or I give up, or I quit, um, because of whatever you're doing to them. So, and it makes it sound childish, which isn't good, but... Um, that's what it is. So that's what jujitsu is. And actually, there's several people uh, that attend this church that are actually part of that jujitsu club. Um, so it's a it's a long running hobby of mine, and um, I enjoy it. So if I back up to January 13th of 2020, so almost almost two years ago, uh, while I was practicing this hobby, um, I was training specifically for. It's this big tournament called the Pans. It's one of the bigger tournaments that you can do for jiu-jitsu. Um, and during this practice, I blew out my knee, my right knee. I blew the ACL in it, and um, thanks to somebody who won't be known. But when Alan went to go um, 
do something incorrectly to me. It, my knee got caught up in it. So um, kudos to him. But I blew up my knee, and so between that and a very stalled knee surgery um, and then a shoulder surgery that I had to have on top of that and then a very long rehab process, it took me a year to get back to being able to do my hobby. So in January 4th, on January 4th of this year, I actually got to come back to it. Um, soon after I came back, uh, I, again, started training specifically for that big tournament again that happens every year, uh, the PANS. And about that time, which was March, uh, is when I kind of came upon that really good um, saying by Stonewall Jackson. Um, I shared it with my team. And they had a tournament coming up in this past April. And I told them basically what I kind of felt like it meant uh, was that we kind of do the, the fighting and the training, and then God is in charge of who wins or loses. And that's kind of, kind of what Stonewall Jackson meant, but I don't think that's exactly what he was fully getting at when he said that. Um, team did super good at the tournament. I know everybody's wondering that too. Um, so that the tournament goes on, it passes, um, the summer rolled on, uh, we kept training, as we always do, and my eye was set on September, this past September, when the PANS would take place. Um, and then in late July, early August, me and my entire household, all eight of us, got to experience the dreaded COVID-19. Uh, none of us died, and none of us even had to go see the doctor, thankfully. Um, but it did stink to have it. Uh, and it did uh, zap me of lots of energy, and I lost several pounds, all of which was muscle, which is never fun. Um, and so it kind of, and this is a month out from the pans, and so I start leaning heavily towards, I'm not doing it. There's no way in the world I'll be ready for this thing now. Um, I've lost so much progress physically, so I, there's no way in the world I'll be able to do it. So I think for an entire day, I said, I'm not doing it. And then the next day, I changed my mind like I always do and, and decided that I would press on. So uh, my family and I, we finally make it down to Florida where the pans are being held. Um, and at this tournament, you're able to, a day or two before the tournament, you're able to see what your specific bracket looks like. And I saw in my bracket there was 10 Ten of us uh, participating in that bracket, uh, which means there's four rounds that I had to make it through to, to try and win this thing. And to win the pans, to kind of bring you up to speed on this, to win the pans is a big deal. It's a very, very big deal. To even get a medal, no matter what medal it is, is a very big deal. Um, so uh, I was excited, didn't. You know, I never know how these things are going to go, but this is a big tournament, so I was really hoping to win it, uh, at least get a medal, of course. So I see my bracket's got four rounds to it, and uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to see that I got a first round by. So that means, oh, great, this, this is great. I only have three rounds to get through, three fights possibly, uh, which meant I only had one match that I needed to win to get to the semis, which would guarantee me 
uh, a medal. The day of the matches arrives, and just moments before my first match takes place, I find out that my opponent in that round was disqualified because he didn't show up. So this gave me like a technical win and moved me into the semis without breaking much of a sweat, other than just getting warmed up. So I couldn't help but to think I actually had a shot at this point of winning the whole thing. Um, I just knew that God was going to hand me this great victory and it would be this incredible comeback story, right? So I stepped onto the mat in the semis. Um, and in this funny little back, no, I won't even get into that. And now everybody's like, what was he going to say? But anyway, um, I stepped onto the mat. Um, I knew that I had a, a bronze medal, um, in theory, hanging around my neck and no pressure on my shoulders uh, at this point. Um, and the match began, and within four minutes, I'd been beaten. Yeah, oh my, that's what I said. <laughs> So I got submitted. So it's one thing to lose by points, but I got submitted. I got, somebody made me say uncle, right? So I walked off the mat, defeated, very, very stinky feeling. Uh, My entire family flew down there uh, for this thing. Very bad feeling, lost, not not good. Humble to say the least. So uh, we get done with the whole bracket. I go to the podium. I get on the podium to receive my bronze medal with kind of a confused feeling about it. Should I be happy or super defeated? I had the medal, but I didn't actually win on the mat to earn it. I was given the medal by technicality. Of course, I showed that I was happy to have it. Um, but it's it still, over the next several days, I, I, I was very much reflecting on how to take this. Um, as I thought and prayed more about the situation and talked with Michelle, um, God revealed something pretty great to me. Uh, God had brought to life what Stonewall Jackson really meant by the battle is ours and outcome is God's. Uh, Jackson was getting at something bigger than a battle between a couple of armies, um, or two people fighting. Um, He was getting at the sovereignty of God. God has orchestrated and ordained all things to his ends and to his glory. God again showed me that even though we may think we earn things through our own might, power, effort, and hard work or intelligence, it's actually him who gives everything that is good. He is kind enough to allow us to play a part in his sovereignty and his sovereign plan in our daily battling. But just like the medal was given to me through no effort of mine, nothing I am or have or have done was through my effort. It has all been given to me by God as a gift, most importantly, my salvation. That is a gift to me, not because I earned it, not because I was super smart and chose it, but it is a gift. And so God gave me the ultimate uh, word picture, life lesson uh, through the pans. Something that was the, the biggest stage I'll ever be on in a sports atmosphere. And uh, he allowed me to be defeated 
and he taught me a great lesson in that. Um, so I'm very grateful for that this year. Thank you. Sam. Greetings and salutations. Uh, thank you, Sam. That's a hard act to follow. Thank you for grappling with those issues. Gotcha. That's the way to do it, right? Um, I have a tendency to like history. I don't know if any of you all have noticed. Um, just a little bit. Um, and actually, I just got uh, an opportunity to go up to Arlington National Cemetery yesterday with my brother and has kind of made... Um, there's moments in life of action. There's also moments of reflection, and going up there is definitely moments of reflection, um, especially after this past year with COVID and um, withdrawal from Afghanistan and uh, whatnot. Um, I've always been interested in history and news and politics and all that good stuff. All Basically, any subject you can't talk about at Thanksgiving, that's what I love. Um, <laughs> makes for some interesting conversations with the families over. But um, I've always enjoyed all that stuff. I've always been fascinated by that stuff. And that's kind of how I learned how to read. That's kind of what I've always done. I remember when I was four or five years old, I think four actually, um, I went down and watched the news and I saw a plane run into two towers right there. It was the first time I ever saw my mom cry. It's a very impactful moment for anybody of my age, um, anybody older than me too, of course, but... Um, especially when you're that age, it was very impactful. It's also, in a very important way, how I came to Christ. And I was going to give a very long, in-depth testimony, but I realized there was five other people who needed to talk here, so this is the abridged version. Um, and perhaps it's not surprising that I've always wanted to give that and give my testimony. And I remember thinking when I was a kid, a little older than four or five, because I grew up in this church, first Tikvot, and then up here. Um, and I actually remember Janet Lerzer, who's going to speak after me, um, mentioned in Sunday school, when I kind of made an offhand mention, that, well, what is my testimony? I've always raised in the church. It's always been my story. I was in the church, and I became a Christian. And I think that if that's where it ends, that's a problem. Um, and I don't have a crazy testimony. I remember, I remember there was uh, one person who came in riding his bike, and uh, he decided just to leave his, his bike, uh, a crazy life, and rejoined his family. And they used to be part of our church. They, many of them still are. Um, and there's all kinds of crazy stories, with, uh, um, um, especially with the missionaries. I'm looking over at uh, the Livermans, some of the stories they've told us, um, just incredible stories. But I think that that's kind of lacking something because I remember after uh, Kirk Kirkendall, um, who used to be pastor, um, gave a sermon, I had said the sinner's prayer, and that was in the back of the pastor's office. And I remember distinctly thinking, I have absolutely no idea what's going on. It just seemed like the thing to do. It just seemed like the, um, the thing. It was perhaps even the mundane thing. And I remember getting fascinated when I was about nine years old with the works of um, 
Marcus Aurelius, of all people, who was a Roman emperor. He was the last of the five great Roman emperors. I'm not going to list them all for you because um, there's one I always forget. But he um, wrote a book called The Meditations, and he was big into Stoicism. I never actually read The Meditations. I'll, I'll be open to confess that. But with my nine-year-old mind, I became fascinated with a version of Stoicism, which is essentially removing all emotion and thinking through things reasonably, rationally, and logically. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's very good things about that. And very much so, it's uh, created what we consider the Enlightenment, which created the United States in, in many aspects. Thomas Jefferson, of course, was a huge Enlightenment thinker. He also also was Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, partially, but um, it was very much central to our concepts and our cultural identities. But it also, again, lacks something. Life is uh, kind of uh, an interesting little path to navigate sometimes when uh, God kind of either suggests you to slightly move or hits you with a two-by-four. Um, it was a little bit of both. And let me catch up to myself here or there. Because while I was here, and while I was even at Tikvot Israel, I was exposed to very good, solid Christian teaching. Even though I wasn't, I was raised in a half-Christian church. My mom's Christian. My dad wasn't. So it was kind of interesting having all that combination of how that all interacted together. Um, I just spoke through about a couple of my notes without looking at them, so I need to catch up to myself here. And I think some people remember that exact day, the exact hour, maybe even the exact moment that they came to Christ. And I don't think I came to Christ back over there in that back corner. If anything, I think I was 13, I was back over here, and I was on my knees. Because there is a moment when um, reason brought me to that point. Rationality brought me to that point. Um, I started looking at the other religions because I wanted to prove in a firm argument and a rational conversation with Dad, specifically, of why Christianity was true. In the end, I actually reasoned and rationalized myself. But I realized that you can't always reason and rationalize somebody. You can get them to the point. And it's interesting, though, if you read a lot of archaeological news, especially recently, most of the people who discover cities mentioned in the Old Testament by uh, King Solomon, for instance, which was a, a big debate here in the last 10 years, there was a lot of cities that he built um, that or supposedly, according to humanist history, didn't exist, but we discovered that they were. The people who discovered them weren't Christians. They weren't Jews. Most of them were atheists or agnostics. They didn't believe that they even existed. They were trying to disprove it, and yet they ended up proving it themselves. And I started looking at some of the other religions as far as, like, what does Islam teach? What does Hinduism teach? What does Buddhism teach? And all of them rang false, very, very false. And Christianity is the only religion that is grounded in history. It's the only thing that's grounded in reality. Jesus walked the earth, 
David walked the earth. Solomon walked the earth. The cities are still there. You can feel them. You can touch them. You can smell them. I don't always recommend taking marble up and smelling it, but you can if you want to. You can still walk through the same halls and the same places that Paul walked, that um, uh, Ezekiel walked, and you can still see the ruins of the, the walls and the, where the temple stood. Islam is not like that. I mean, Muhammad existed, yes, but what came before, it was just a badly written retelling of the Old Testament. Judaism, of course, is what led to Christianity. It's uh, Christianity before Christ came. It's what points us to that. Buddhism, Hinduism, the pagan religions, they're all concepts of what we tried to look at through nature and saw that tried to make sense of it. Um, and I think that it's a hugely important aspect of But that didn't lead me to it. I think one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is the second half of John 6. And let me read part of this here. And he goes, Jesus is speaking. Of course, he gave the, the bread and the, um, the fish to the, um, the multitude. And he's talking specifically about him being the bread of life. And he's talking about um, that he's the only way to him heaven to God, that he is God. And the Jews are not having this. And many of them run away. They're not interested in hearing it. Because reason brought them maybe to it, but they didn't take that final step of absolute total faith, which in reality is what we must do with any concept. Whether it is Stoicism, I had to have some kind of faith that that would be true. It's not just I reasonably came to it. I had to take that final step of believing it both here and here. I'm not a stoic, by the way, now. That's back when I was nine. Um, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said, does this offend you? This is verse uh, 60 in uh, John 6. What, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And he already knew who was going to betray him. He already knew about Judas Iscariot. He knew which ones exactly where they were and what they were thinking. And yet he still said exactly what it was going to be for the people who didn't believe in him in that point to go ahead and make that final leap of faith. And then jumping down to verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I read that and I went, where else can you go? Can I go to Zeus? I mean, it doesn't work. Nothing else works. There's no other path. There's no other possible avenue. Logic dictates, logic demands that there is a creator. So where's the heart follow? Thank you.
sound really, really interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. When Millie wrote, sent me an email and asked me if I would uh, give my testimony, the first thing that came into mind is, look what the Lord has done. I met the Lord when I was 18 or 19 years old. It wasn't anything spectacular, and for a long time, I wondered if I was even saved. I didn't feel any different. My love for Jesus grew very slowly, but he didn't give up on me. Both of my brothers were working for ministries during the late 1980s, or during the 1980s. I was married and was raising my kids. I always felt like I wanted to do more for God, but looking back... I see where the Lord had his hand on my life. I was in the position to be the anchor for all of my, anchor place for all of my siblings. They had permanent address and a babysitter when they went on a mission trip. They could come by for an overnighter on their way to mission meetings, get a shower and a meal. Still, at that time, I wasn't doing enough, in my opinion. The Lord led me out of a painful situation, and I started working with my brother Dan as office manager of Derek Prince Ministries in Germany. Finally, I was working directly for a ministry. Boy, was I blessed. I believe I grew the most in those eight years. I had access to Bible-based teaching, partook as a part of the prayer team during conferences, was part of our worship team. I had... uh, I was tested, tried, and delivered from a lot of me. Jesus showed me his saving grace during that time. He built me up and held me in his strong arms during lots of times of trials. I realized just how insignificant I am without him. He taught me things I didn't even know existed and that I had to learn. Even got, I even got to rewrite and edit some of Joyce Meyer's books. That was awesome. He showed me his love, wisdom, faithfulness, patience, and provision. Derek Prince died in 2003. In 2006, my brother Dan told me that the ministry was experiencing financial difficulties and they couldn't carry me as full-time employee anymore. At that moment, literally, literally, I felt a cloaked arm come around my shoulders and a voice in my ear saying, now is my time for you. Now, I had been praying because I knew how the you know, the uh, sales were going down. I knew it was the Lord's voice, yet I felt I had to lay down a fleece. I said that if it was him, let me find a buyer for my condo. The economy was not good back then. I had a buyer within a week. I had a buyer for my car, and I left Germany on November 4th, 2006. I had taken a trip to the U.S. the year before with my mother to visit family. During this visit, I felt the Lord opening up Florida as to where I should go. I had an aunt on the West Coast, sister on the East Coast. Where to? I prayed about it, and the Lord led me to the West Coast, to Naples. There, I promised my aging aunt that I would be there for her. My mom followed me from Spain in 2009, and I had two elderly sweethearts to take care of. During the 14 years I was in Naples, I had a a few serious health issues and surgeries to go through. Mom couldn't really help me, especially toward the end, because she was suffering from dementia and had to be taken care of in an assisted living home. I felt very alone and afraid. My sisters did what they could, but it was temporary. God sent me angels to help me. 
My neighbors became my support, all of them believers. I knew that God was taking care of me even when I felt he was very far away. Looking back, I see his leading, strength, and faithfulness. I had the prayers of family and church, which I felt too. Because of my promise to my aunt, I felt obligated to stay there until she passed. Mom and Melly, my aunt, are now in heaven, and I was in limbo, although I was working with an elderly woman as a companion. I was tired of the constant heat and humidity, and I was having trouble maintaining my mother's house that I was living in. So I visited my sister in Minnesota, who would have loved to have had me move there, but I didn't want to switch the heat for the cold. <laughs> so she suggested, and I'm sure the Lord nudged her, that I get in touch with Mark, who had just moved here to, to, to uh, Virginia, to see if he wouldn't mind if I moved closer to him in Virginia, where the weather was more temperate. He was all for it, and immediately I went online and looked for houses to buy. I saw one which was perfect. I prayed about it, and the Lord opened the door for me. He led me to the house I'm now living in, gave me favor with the sellers, who not only came down in price, but also let me pay them directly for a year. I was having trouble getting a loan. And then I had God's favor with a loan company, another loan company. The Lord provided my siblings and me with a buyer from Mom's house, for me, a good used car, and a wonderful family who packed me up in Naples. Mark drove the truck down here, and he, my sweet sister-in-law, my nephew, and a wonderful friend helped unpack the truck and, and got everything into the house. Everything fell into place because Jesus had his hand in it. I was brought to this spirit, spirit-filled church where I feel like family, I love you all. <laughs> and, um, and I attend a wonderful Bible study and care group. I am so grateful to God for his provision. I am blessed beyond measure. I almost immediately started working at home as a home health aide on a part-time basis. I do consider myself semi-retired. And uh, <clears throat> the Lord has given me Christian clients, neighbors, and good friends. I give the Lord glory and honor for all he has done in my life. I can't tell you how much I love Jesus now and how important he is to me. Without him, I am nothing. Praise be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. See what the Lord has done. Where are you? <laughs> um, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, all my iniquities, who heals all your diseases, all my diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
It's powerful, isn't it? I couldn't figure that youth renewed like the Eagles thing for a while, but I think I got it. Um, your last year, I had not put my name on the list to do a Thanksgiving share, although I like to really think about that because we all, you could all be up here. I know you all could. Because I didn't feel like I had a lot to be thankful for. So, but at the last minute, the day before Thanksgiving last year, God gave me a passage of scripture, which I'm going to read to you again. I read it last year. And I obeyed when he said, at the end, Pastor Paul said, does anybody else have something? And I just, you know, I felt that witness of the Holy Spirit. You need to share what I showed you last night. So out of obedience and an act of faith, I came up here and confessed that, like many testimonies that year, mine was not that way. I didn't find the pandemic. I didn't find that God had done a great work in my life during the pandemic. I was struggling with what was going on in the world, what was going on in, in, the, in, in my family, an extended family. But he, he gave me this verse of the day before Thanksgiving. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us again on the third day, that we may live before him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain that waters the earth. That was the God was reminding me of the of gospel truth. You know, we are saved. He has given us His great salvation, but it's like it works out over and over in our lives, and I'm thankful for that. Um, and through that verse, what I realized, and, and the, so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, two, 2021 is going to be. A better year. Well, you know, I'm halfway through 2021, and I go, I thought 2020 was bad. <laughs> 2021 just, you know, it it kind of tanked uh, for me. It didn't get, it didn't things, the things that I saw with my eyes and felt with my heart were not better. Let's put it that way. Um, so, just through that verse, what he did do was tell me to turn, to turn my eyes from what I could see, what I was feeling, and turn to him. How many times is this in the word of God? To turn. Psalm 107, we studied it in D's Bible study. And just over and over, this happened, they did this, then they cried to the Lord. And what happens when we cry to the Lord? Does he ever, does he ever turn his back? No, he doesn't. At least he didn't for me. So when Pastor Paul, after many announcements, <laughs> surprise, surprise, it's a share service. <laughs> and I remembered last Thanksgiving and I just want to tell you that 
even though the outward things may not have changed much, you know, God has done a work in this heart. Uh, he has, he has, uh, <laughs> he has wounded, but he has bandaged. And I, I think, and I've shared this with some of you, I think of Corey Ten Boom who said, uh, I mean, she's such a, a, a hero of mine over the years. And one of the things she said, she said, I've learned to hold things loosely because it hurts when God pries my fingers away and takes that thing. And uh, I know many of you have experienced that. And well, don't judge me. I know I've been saved for 40 years. <laughs> I, should, I should know this stuff. But it's just, you know, okay, Lord, I'm learning and I'm growing. And so I thank him for that wounding, that prying away, so I could really trust him completely. Um, The thing that's changed, I I hate to, I I don't care to admit how many tears I still cry and how I lay my burdens before him, but now I'm trying to leave him there. I get up, I pray this prayer, and I've asked some of you to pray this prayer for me as I was going through a very hard time uh, in the summer. And it's the prayer, Lord, according to your riches in glory, would you strengthen me with power through your spirit in my innermost being so that Christ would dwell in my heart by faith and that I, being rooted and grounded in love, would have power together with all of you to know how high, well, first, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ so that we might be filled to all the fullness of God. What? What? Filled with all the fullness of God. You know, so that's my prayer. It's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you. I want to say how much I thank you for being here, for your voices, for your loves, for your words. That you mean the world to me as a body of Christ. <laughs> You're important. I mean, it's, we, we, we underestimate how important we are to each other. And this little body, and we have a far reach, but this is the body of Christ that ministers to our souls week in and week out. And I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bless you. Twenty twenty is considered average good vision. That means you can see clearly for twenty feet. Um, I'm sorry to say. It was the end of 2020 until I could see fully the events, the end of 2021, until I could see fully the events of 2020. Psalm 100, verses 3 through 5. Know that the Lord, he is God. 
It is he who has made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness is to all generations. On the altar this morning is a cornucopia known to most as the Horn of Plenty. It is not just full, but it is overflowing with God's wonderful provisions. My heart is overflowing this Thanksgiving for the blessings in my life and for the many lessons that I have learned during this very trying time of uncertainty. I am grateful for a husband who loves me and cares for me, who provides a home for me, heat in the winter and cool in the summer. I am grateful for children who love me and grandchildren who love me and bring me much delight. Yes, I'm grateful for J.D., our little Dotsy puppy, who lets me know when someone's at the door, even if it is Dwight ten times a day. (laughs) I am grateful for the ladies who, when COVID began, brought us groceries, all wiped down on the porch, ready to be put away. I'm grateful for a package left on my front porch, toilet paper from my niece who works at Walmart. I'm grateful for Facebook, for Pastor Paul's service, for Charles Stanley, for David Jeremiah, for Grove Avenue Baptist Church, my church away from home. God's word went forth to his people. I'm grateful for the nurses and the doctors, who answered all my many, all of our many questions so that Dwight and, my, Dwight and I could make the decision for us. I'm grateful for the many prayers that have gone up for this church, for its families, for the nation, and for the world. My heart dances with excitement as I think of Easter 2020. We had been apart for several months and drove up to New Covenant in our vehicle, and we heard God's word live. We could see and speak to those we had missed for so long. As strange as it might be, I think it's one of my favorites. Perhaps you do not know what you have until it's gone. I am grateful for when we return to church. What a privilege. Mask or no mask, it was a privilege to be in the presence of believers and to worship together. I'm grateful for a very simple Thanksgiving as we gathered on the deck to celebrate being together more than a big, heavy meal. I'm very grateful for the lessons of Christmas. I love Christmas. I love my tree. I love the tremens. I love the laughter. I love a party. But I learned the depth of Christmas when we gathered around a campfire to worship the Savior. I learned that there are 12 days to Christmas. As your children grow up, and have their own families, life changes. Dwight and I were blessed to be with our children at different times during Christmas, and then all together, again on the deck, with soup and sandwich. Much laughter. The kids received special gifts that Dwight had spent much of the year building. Then we all ended up in the barnyard. Dwight and I mostly just sat and watched the wonder of it all. 
We shall never forget what we have come to remember as Christmas in the barnyard. Yes, our times are uncertain. But I know someone who never will leave us. He will never forsake us. And wherever we go, he is there. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Thank you for sharing your hearts. Um, we have, you know, God is always at work just doing little different things in, in his children's lives. And uh, none of us are perfect. We all have struggles. But he is perfect. He sanctifies us. He pursues us. We should seek Christ first, trust in him with all things. It's amazing what a perspective can do with our hearts and our minds. And I thank you for the, uh, the attitude adjustment or the heart adjustment that takes place whenever we gather as the body of Christ and just endeavor together to live our lives for Him. So thank you for sharing. And um, we are, it was perfect timing. It's like 12 o'clock right now. So I'm not going to open it up for anybody else to share. Uh, but if you have been disobedient, and you were supposed to be up here next year about this time. You will have, God's a God of second chances. You'll have an opportunity to come and share, and I hope you will. So thanks. And um, Eric, will you come and close us out? I was truly blessed by all of those speakers. Thank you. Thank you for that obedience.